Hey listeners, Mealy and Christine here. Though we are licensed medical professionals, nothing we speak about in the well conversation should be taken as health advice. These episodes are based on a review of current research available and well-known frequently applied interventions used by professionals in the field. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, the information shared in this presentation may not be entirely safe or applicable to you. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before applying any changes to your health, especially if you have a pre-existing medical condition or are taking prescription medications. Welcome back for another episode of The Well Conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Christine. And I'm your host, Dr. Mealy. Today's topic is all about headaches. If any of our listeners are regular headache sufferers, you're in for a treat because today we have with us chiropractor Dr. Donald Littlewood. Dr. Donald works at Liberty Clinic, downtown Toronto. He uses individualized plans, including mobilization or adjustments, soft tissue therapy, rehabilitation, and acupuncture to treat his patients. Dr. Donald's passion and practice lies in treating those suffering from headaches, as well as members of the LGBTQ community. When he's not in the office, Dr. Donald can be found in the kitchen, on the volleyball courts, or exploring some of the amazing restaurants in Toronto. Welcome, Dr. Donald. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're very excited to have you as well. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I've been going to a chiropractor ever since I was a kid. I think my brother and I both, we would go, I think I was like, even as young as like 10, maybe when I yeah. first started going to a chiropractor. And I really think it's helped a lot with everything that life throws at you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So for those who might not be as familiar with chiropractors, can you explain a little bit about what is a chiropractor, what a chiropractor does, and maybe a little bit about your education as well, if you want? Yeah, for sure. So chiropractors are kind of an equivalent to a medical doctor. We do a four-year degree just like NDs do. We're what we call neuromusculoskeletal specialists. So we can assess, treat, and diagnose anything in the spine, muscle, bones, and nervous system, any kind of complaints that are happening in there. And so it's a four-year program. We go through it all. And then our last year is we don't actually take any classes in our last year. It's a full clinical year. So we treat patients from various different backgrounds and in different settings. A lot of people ask, what's the difference between chiropractic care and physio? Because for some reason, people can kind of grasp their head around physio, but chiropractic seems to be a little funny for people, I guess. To be honest with you, they're almost the same. A chiropractor can do anything a physiotherapist can do. We just have a few more things that we can do. So our scope of practice is larger in terms of we can diagnose and we can take x-rays. So those are the kind of the two things that we can do that a physiotherapist can't. And so what we do is we do full assessments of, I tend to stick to the spine. Chiropractors can treat any part of the body, but most of my people are coming in for some sort of spinal stuff. So we do a full assessment of the spine, diagnose it, and then treat accordingly with soft tissue work, like you said, adjustments, which I can go into what an adjustment is as well, if you want. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Cause people don't know. So I like yeah. to answer the question. Yeah. They just know it's a pop. Yeah, exactly. Or like, yeah, totally. 
So what it is, so all of our joints are in a capsule and when the joint isn't moving as well as we want, we can feel it. So when I'm poking around in the neck, I can feel like a hard block. Like it literally feels like I'm pushing against a wall. And for the patient, it'll feel like a really dull ache that can like stick where my fingers are, or it can like travel up or down the neck as well. And then that's the area that the motion is restricted in. So that joint isn't moving the way we want it to be moving. And so I will put the person in a position, take that joint to its end range of motion naturally. I'll provide like a quick thrust. That's the adjustment portion. And then you'll hear the popper crack. And the pop is just gas escaping from the joint in that capsule. Your bones aren't doing anything really. (laughs) They're not breaking. They're not cracking themselves. It's just the gas escaping from the joint that creates that sound. And that gas escaping also helps to create a little bit more movement in there. So at the end of the day, chiropractic care is about optimizing people's health, function, and movement. I really like how you explain that because I often refer my friends to go see chiropractors. Yeah. And every time my friend, they're like, isn't it a little scary? Like they're cracking your back in so many different places. And it's such a loud sound. Like, I don't think your bones are supposed to grind that way. And I was like, no, no, no. It's not bones grinding against <laughs> each other. <laughs> it's so true. I get that question and like those hesitations all the time too. And it's just people, they've never been told what it is. They just think it's your bones cracking and breaking, but it's And if it was your bones breaking and cracking, I get it. It's scary. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That is definitely scary. (laughs) Definitely scary. But this is not that. So. I think it's important to note the magnitude of effect that, you know, a licensed professional, a doctor in chiropractics can have on offering these adjustments or manipulations. I know that some people, they're like, oh, yeah, if I just like twist my back a certain way, something pops and I feel better. So like, why would I spend $100 on a chiropractor? (laughs) Or like, they'll do something in sports and then like, you know, their body will be thrust in a certain direction it really shouldn't. And then you'll hear like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cracks. And they're like, oh, yeah, look, a free adjustment. And I made that joke once to my chiropractor and he said, "Mm, free adjustments are never free. (laughs) No. (laughs) He's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, because what happens with all those like self-adjustments or like you said, when you twist in a weird way and it all, we call it zippering. What happens is you're not actually moving the joint that needs to be moving. So when the joint itself is stuck, the one above it and the one below it is usually more mobile than it should be to make up for the one that's not. And so when you hear those like self-adjustment noises, you're actually just moving the joints that are already moving too much. You're not actually moving the one that needs to be moving. It's not as specific. Yeah, it'll probably feel great, but (laughs) it's not going to actually solve anything. And if you keep doing it, it does have the potential to cause harm because you're just creating more emotion in a joint that's already got enough motion through it. It's just not good in the long run. And with something so important as your spine, like that's literally like the central hub of your body. That exactly. Just like, oh, yeah, I'll just do a self-adjustment. I'm like, on your neck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. People do it and I don't love it, but. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Okay, so I want to get started on headaches because I'm super excited to talk about headaches. They are such a common issue, especially now. And I feel like over this past year and a half and you are the expert. That's why I wanted you to come on because Dr. John knows everything about headaches. He's a headache master. (laughs) Why don't we start by just going into maybe what is a headache or maybe classifications of headache? 
Yeah, sure. So headaches are all classified under the International Headache Society. There's like a whole list, kind of like, you know, how the DSM has all these like psychological disorders. I don't even remember which number edition they're on, but I think there are like between 140 and 160 different types of headaches listed in this International Headache Society document. And so, and there's a whole host of them from like medication, overuse, mental health related headaches and that kind of stuff. I'm a chiropractor. I don't treat that. There are three types that I really do treat that chiropractors tend to focus on. And they are cervicogenic headaches, tension type headaches, and migraines. Cervicogenic headaches are the ones that come on at the same time as neck pain. So if you're like doing a shoulder check in the car and you've got like a little bit of neck pain here and you notice it also like shoots up into the side of your head, into your temple, that's a cervicogenic headache. They come on and resolve at the same time as the neck pain. So it's just like a referral type headache it's mostly muscular in origin, which chiropractors also treat. So it's one that kind of comes on fairly quickly. And when you get it treated often goes away fairly quickly, they can be chronic. Some people get them like fairly often, but they don't tend to be as chronic as the other types of headaches. And they're pretty quickly resolved with adjustments, soft tissue work, and then exercises as well. And acupuncture can be really beneficial for all of these types of headaches as well. Tension type headaches are actually the ones that I'm seeing the most of right now. And that's because tension type headaches, their number one causative factor is stress. And I know you guys are talking about stress all the time on here. <laughs> and so stress is kind of like ruling our lives right now. And even though Ontario has opened a little bit more and the country has opened a little bit more, all that stress stuff is not going away, I don't think. So our tension type headaches are ones that are caused by stress and stressful events. And usually those events are like the little minute details of life, like taking care of the kids and juggling a job at the same time, or how am I going to possibly get dinner on the table when I've got to do X, Y, and Z working till 7.30 and whatever it might be. Those are the times where we get tension-related headaches, and they are often accompanied with neck pain as well and pain into the upper traps, so kind of like the tops of the shoulders. And really, adjustments in soft tissue and exercises can really help, but the main portion of trying to get to the bottom of these tension-type headaches is to really figure out what's causing you stress, seeing if you can eliminate whatever that stressor is, chances are you can't, but it's worth trying. And if you can't eliminate that stressor, trying to figure out what you can add into your day that's going to counteract that stressor a little bit more. I actually don't like to advise patients to take anything out of their day because people are doing things for a reason. They want to be doing whatever they're doing. I like to encourage people to add in things versus taking things out as an initial starting point. So I find that when you add in stress reduction techniques, those tension type headaches do start to dissipate a little bit and adjustments can actually help reduce physiological stress as well. So that is where chiropractic comes in. And then migraines are these fun little strange otherworldly things that we have. No one really knows why migraines happen. There isn't like an end curative type thing for migraines, which we all know, but migraines can come from different things as well. Muscular tension can really cause migraines. There's a lot of neurochemical things that happen in the brain that I have a very basic understanding of that even the world's top scientists don't really have a great understanding of what's going on in there that cause these migraines, but adjustments can help 
reset those neurochemicals and help reduce the tension in where the bulk of the migraines that I see, a lot of people are having tension right where the head hits the neck, right in the very back there. Doing adjustments there can really help reset those muscles. The muscles that live back there, the suboccipitals are really sensitive. And like with any sort of barometric pressure change, they can go crazy. They're also really active in eye movements. And so if those muscles are really tight and we're having a lot of pain when we're moving our eyes or like eye sensitivity, sensitivity to light, which is really common in migraines, those adjustments can actually help reduce those symptoms and reduce the frequency or intensity of the migraines is kind of the goal. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. We'll do a little exercise. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> if you find the very bottom of your skull kind of on either side and you just rest your hands really nicely into that divot just below the bottom of your skull, it's nice and meaty in there. Good. Yeah, right. It already feels good. <laughs> and you just move your eyes side to side, keeping your head still. You can actually feel those muscles move. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, right? my Lord. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you're listening to this, try it. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel there's four of them on each side and you can feel them moving as you move your eyes side to side. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Oh my Lord. And a lot of migraines are accompanied by weird eye things, sensitivity to mm -hmm. light, auras that happen. So I do find that doing adjustments in through here does actually help with some eye sensitivities. Now I should say that there's not a ton of research that supports that. That's just what I found in my own clinical practice, which is part of creating treatment plans. Right. Right. And I'm sure like you know, the whole pandemic contributes to that also because now everyone's moving to more virtual options for work, for school. And a lot of the times when you stare at a blue screen for a prolonged period of times, you forget to blink. Yeah. Your eyes never get a break. And you're like yeah. constantly staring at this thing that's continuing to stimulate your eyes. So I could very easily see And you're see kind how... of like shutting your chin out. You're just like putting all the pressure on those <laughs> muscles Exactly. Too. Those muscles are brutal right now and everyone's yeah. feeling them. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, to say the least. I know you touched a little bit on how you help your patients with, for example, stress reduction and tension type headaches, but what are some other ways that you work closely with patients who are suffering from headaches? The goals of treatment with headaches often relate to frequency and intensity of the headaches. So when a patient comes in and we start a treatment plan, there's no way to tell when I'm treating a patient if the frequency is going to decrease first or the intensity is going to decrease first. But let's say the intensity decreases and you're still getting three migraines a week. Usually that frequency will start to come down once the intensity has come down as well. But in terms of treatment itself, I do a lot of soft tissue work in those muscles in through there. And as well as in the jaw, I'm starting to see a lot of jaw issues that are relating back into the head, which is very fun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and fun. So, right. And so I do a lot of soft tissue work and then we do some adjustments and the piece that really brings it all together and makes everything stick and click is the exercises that patients do on their own time. I can only do so much in my office. My treatment times are only 20 minutes. And so I can only do so much in a 20 minute period. And I also don't want you to feel that you have to come back every week for 
12, 16 a year, like that just is not useful. Yeah. So I like to keep people on a initially very short kind of intense treatment plan and try and get them as better. That's terrible English, but as better as I can. <laughs> Sorry. I like to get their treatment together as quickly as I can and then space it out as each patient can handle. Like I have some patients that are coming every two weeks and that's just their bodies. They mm-hmm. feel like they really need it. They're chronic migraine sufferers, whatever it might be. They really feel like every two weeks is their number. And that's great. And I also see some migraine patients and some headache patients that only come see me on the day or the day after a really bad headache. And then that seems to handle it as well. But the key to all of it is all of these patients need to be doing their exercises or else my work is just canceled out when the patient goes home. Yeah. The conditioning is like the part that makes the most change. Yeah. If we see someone in practice and it's almost sometimes I'll have patients that come and they're like, I didn't do any of the things. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Honestly, let's just push your appointment then because it's not as helpful. Right. And it's obviously you can go in, you can get an adjustment or you can do some feels good. You can get some acupuncture done, but the majority of the work Unfortunately, when you're really doing the work, that's a great thing about integrative medicine is that patients have the power and it's patient-centered, which is amazing, but with power comes responsibility. (laughs) And it's all about being responsible for your health as well, which is empowering and great, but it means doing the work. Yeah. And then when patients start to do the work, it's kind of this positive cycle because people are like, oh, wow, this feels great. It's like when you choose to do the yoga or the get up and you do your morning stretches and then you're every time you do it, you're like, why don't I do this every day? Yeah. <laughs> and we fall out of it. But... And then it becomes less work and more just routine. It's yeah. just like, this is what I do to feel good. And then it becomes self-care. And then once you get past that stage where it becomes a part of your life, that's like, positive feel like that's the point of real change for patients i fully agree and this is not exclusive to chiropractic care but like you have to have as much responsibility as your healthcare provider does and if you're not in it your healthcare provider can only help you as much as you're in it for sure and so in my world exercises are really the main thing that people need to get on board with <laughs> yeah it's we're more the information source you're kind of like the teacher exactly and, the educator. and then yeah. yeah the educator and then there's the treatment aspect of it but then it's okay these are your treatment goals this is what you're going to do as part of it yeah and the best part about a lot of these exercises that i give i try to give the easiest exercise that i possibly can because if they're not easy people aren't going to do it me included yeah. like if the exercise yeah. <laughs> is not easy i'm not doing it yeah. i'm not going to It has to be something you can remember how to do also. Yeah. (laughs) And it has to be one of those things that I only need to teach once, maybe twice, give a little handout and you need to be able to do it after that. Because if it's not easy, people don't do it. And I'm guilty of that too. So everything I give to my patients is as easy as I can possibly make it while still being effective. And I will say I have attended a presentation by Donald where he did exercises and now they are part of my morning routine. The one where this one where you like, (laughs) and you're like, you kind of like put your hand on the back of your head, trying to explain it for listeners. And then you open up your chest. Oh, it's so good. That already, just like the explanation, I'm like, yeah, that seems like a really nice feeling. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's part of my morning stretch. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's easy. (laughs) 
He really, he means what he says. <laughs> I really feel like it's kind of a lost art in a lot of healthcare practitioners. I do feel like a lot more of the patients are relying very heavily on the actual treatment and the abilities of their healthcare practitioners, which to an extent makes a lot of sense. But like, for example, maybe a chiropractor just comes in, they do adjustments and then send them off on their way. Like being able to sit with your patients, have that time, do soft tissue work, which I think is being adopted less and less by more of the manual practitioners and then also being able to educate them on exercises and send them home with like lifelong lasting exercises and stretches I feel like that's the thing that really converts a patient from just like a patient coming in a couple times a year they feel fine they leave they forget about it versus mm -hmm. a patient who's going to be like oh my chiropractor you know you got to go see him he's the one <laughs> right and at the end of the day I want to get you better too because if I get you better you're going to refer your people to me but if I don't get you better, you're not going to refer your people to me. So it's in my best interest as well to make sure that you're getting better as quickly and as easily as you can. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to talk about working from home specifically because as we've mentioned briefly right now, there's this kind of glimpse of hope that some people can go back into the office, maybe a flexible work schedule, but it looks like some people may be working at home. I know there's some people, their office space has been sold and they're working from home from now on. So maybe some tips, both exercises or something when people are working home, but then maybe ergonomically how to set up your workstation. Yeah. I know that there's some people who still not set up a proper workstation and <laughs> I know just kind of it's still, still like, like textbooks on the dinner table and like <laughs> well I mean the textbooks on the dinner table that's me so I mean I will be very honest with you and I am a textbook on the dinner table type person <laughs> currently my laptop is propped up on my dog's bark box subscription box nice. so I love <laughs> I love a textbook on the table <laughs> I've got a US Emily step one. Oh uh, yeah there you go you know what? Honestly, last week I suggested to a patient that they need to like pull up their laptop screen. And he was like, but I don't have anything. I was like, you have a shoebox. Always Just have something. <laughs> like you have a shoebox. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think I started off at the beginning of the pandemic, like May, July 2020. And I was doing so much of this, I like hunched over, my neck started hurting. So then I just used like old music stands oh. that I had around the house and like made it so that it was standing height. Yes. And that like my computer screen was like right at eye level and it was perfect. It was yeah. all I needed because like it tilts. It That's, does that. I've never thought of a music stand. That's so brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> it actually works great. And then when I wanted to sit, I just like, you know, I have so so many of these textbooks that go unused yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> every day oh my gosh so you so know just stacking textbooks. those and then like and then eventually I bought like a computer stand and then like an extra keyboard and a mouse yeah, Christine's so my setup wrist... is like is pretty beyond. intense yeah. yes <laughs> so you actually mentioned one of the very first thing that you should be doing when you're looking at your desk setup is making sure that your monitor is at eye level it's like the number one thing that you should be doing because if your monitor's not at eye level, you're looking down at your knees all day. And that just adds so much tension to the muscles in the back of the neck. And it also shortens the muscles in the front of the neck because they're not getting like a natural lengthening that they would need. So the number one thing that I tell people to do is to lift up their 
laptop or make sure that their monitor or whatever is at eye level. Along with that, because it looks and feels horrible and looks really stupid, if your laptop is up exactly Maley, Maley's doing like a little, like <laughs> you're typing up at your shoulders, like it's, yeah. that doesn't work either. <laughs> so you got to raise the laptop and you need external hardware. It does not have to be like all of my external hardware is Mac products because that's just who I am. But it doesn't need to be. You don't need to go out and spend $200 on these super fancy products. All you need is like a textbook or a shoebox, like I said, and some external hardware. You can have one that uses a USB, whatever your situation is. It's so important that you get like the external hardware just to make your life so much easier. For people who are a little more cost conscious, I think I got a wireless keyboard and mouse that they pair together. So you only need one USB port. And that cost me $30, I think. Yeah. And I even paid like five or $7 extra to get the wireless because I hate wires. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'll pay a $7 premium to get a wireless Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. And they work so well and they feel so good using them. Yeah. So, you know, there's always options for people who are maybe we'll link it, Christine. Yeah, 100%. I can link. And the the other thing too, is that like, if you work for a larger company, and you're listening to this, that company should be either paying for it all, or they should be giving you some sort of work from home budgetary allowance to make all of these things happen. So if you're in the situation where you don't know if you can afford it, talk to somebody, talk to your boss, because there should be some sort of program to help outfit you with all of these things. I know in 2020, there's that tax credit as well. I forget how much money it was, 400? Yeah, and so there was a tax credit that you can get to set up your at-home workstation. Yeah. There's also a form called, and it's still active, like I know friends who have still been submitting this form for their taxes for 2020 and plan on doing it for 2021 as well. But it's the T2200 form. And it's so easy. You just get your employer to sign off on it, basically saying like, oh, I had to spend like 200 extra dollars on making my workspace more ergonomic because now I'm working from home. And then you get tax credits on that. So it's amazing. There's so many options for us. There are so many options. A couple of other things I wanted to just like touch on for work from home is, and I've heard Bailey talk about this one a lot, so I'm sure she's going to agree with me, is if you can, do not work in your bedroom. Yes. (laughs) I know Maley likes this one. (laughs) Your bedroom is meant for sleeping and sex. Those are the two things that your bedroom is meant for. I mean, I'm I'm very honest about it. I think in university they said sleep, sex, and sick. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Your bedroom is meant for sleeping and sex. If you're working in your bedroom, your brain is going to associate your bedroom with work which you don't want because the minute you lay down in your bed to go to sleep, your mind is just going to start thinking about all of these work things that you have to do the next day. And then your day is ruined. And then you're going to have dreams about going to work. And like, no one likes those because you should have a day off afterwards, in my opinion. So that is one really big one. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are working from their bedroom right now because they want to be able to close the door and they don't want their work stuff out in their living room or whatever. Honestly, it's better for your physical and mental health if your stuff is actually out in the living room and not in your bedroom. And I'll give you one more for right now, which is get up and move. So when you're not working from home, when you're working in the office, your bathroom is probably further from your desk than it is right now. The water cooler is probably further from your desk than it is right now. You're going to a meeting room. You're not just like 
entering a Zoom code. So like any of the meetings that you're attending are in a different room. So you got to get up and go there. I mean, I've not worked in an office, but I would imagine that I would be the office chatty Kathy and I would just be like walking <laughs> around talking to everybody. So I'm sure there's some of that in the office too. So you are naturally moving more when you work in an office than you are when you're not. And mm -hmm. you have the commute to the office, you're going downstairs to get a coffee. Like there's so much more movement involved in working in an office. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you get up and you do a lap around your apartment or you go up and down two flights of stairs in your building every hour or like do like 20 jumping jacks on your patio. Like what? Ever works for you to get in that movement, you should be getting up and doing something every 40 to 50 minutes. And it doesn't have to be that long. Like you only need to do it for like 30 seconds or a minute. You don't have to like take your break and do a workout every 40 minutes. You just need to get up, do something, move a little bit during the workday. And that will help so much. Like I think patients always get scared that when you say take a break, they're like, I don't have time for a break because they think take a break, go for a 20, 30 minute walk. It's not that it's just literally moving your muscles to walk somewhere and then sit back yeah, down. Yeah, it's two minutes. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tip that I always say to people is to have lots of water throughout the day so that you're hydrated, but then you have to pee more. So then you have to walk <laughs> to the washroom and that's something you're going to do. I mean, some people ignore it, but that's a whole you can't other ignore topic. it. For, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't really ignore it for that long. No. So it kind of forces you to keep moving yeah. and then you're hydrated. So it's yeah. a little... I tell that was one of the things that I tell a lot of people too is just to make sure your water glass is always full because if your water glass is always full, you're peeing. Exactly. And if these tips aren't incentive enough to like reduce your headaches or reduce your stress or muscle strain or anything, I will tell you that after a couple of months of like working from home, doing the Zoom meetings, I like caught a glimpse of myself. Someone like took a video for something and I looked at myself and like the humpback that I had <laughs> from just being on the computer for, I think it was like six more hours a day than I usually would yeah. was like atrocious to see. And I was so shocked being like, is that what I look like? And people were like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's when I started like, you know, really investing in my workspace, making sure I set like movement reminders. So I wasn't just like calcified in this like hunched over state all the time. Yeah. No one wants to be the hunchback of Notre Dame all the time. Exactly. And like now already I can like see a significant difference in my posture and also like neck pain. And then, you know, mm -hmm. the aesthetics of it also, I don't mind, but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that too. Like I do see a lot of patients who come in and they're like, I don't like the way the humpback looks. And that's like the main driver. It's like not so much about, for some people, not so much about the pain, not so much about the lack of movement. It's like the aesthetics of the way that looks and they don't like that. So whatever gets you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever works. Whatever gets you to do it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving all these tips that you're offering oh, good. to all our listeners. So with most of your patients, you instead of taking something out, you always add things like stress reduction yeah. tips. Can you go over maybe a couple of your favorite stress reduction tips that you um, offer to your patients? Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest one is deep breathing. And I, whenever I say that, I get met with like a, Ugh, really? There's nothing more I can do than <laughs> breathe? No. 
there isn't. No, there is. But breathing is the number one thing you can do for stress reduction. So I can go through like some proper breathing techniques now. Listeners, please do this as well, unless you're driving, because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. So if you're driving, please, please do not do this. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> Keep your everyone. eyes open if you are operating moving vehicle. So I'm going to get you to close your eyes and I'm going to get you to put your left hand on your chest and your right hand on your stomach and just breathe normally for a second. And I want you to notice how deep or how shallow your breaths are. I want you to notice which hand is moving in and out. Okay. So just take a second to notice that. And now I'm going to ask you to follow along with me. So what I'm going to get you to do is take a deep breath in and I want you to push your stomach out so that your right hand gets pushed out towards whatever is in front of you. So if you're lying down, you want to try and push that right hand up into the ceiling by taking a deep breath in. And then out. So while you're taking that deep breath in, when you breathe through your diaphragm, you're actually activating what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms down. It's known as the rest and digest system in our bodies. And it calms down the sympathetic nervous system, which activates this fight or flight response. The two of them are always active, but they both can't be the same amount of active at the same time. So while you're doing that diaphragmatic breathing, that deep breathing, your parasympathetic nervous system is more active. And so it's the one taking over. So it's redirecting all of the blood and nutrients to things like your reproductive system or your digestive system and other executive functioning skills instead of when you go to your sympathetic nervous system, which is how most people breathe. So chest breathing that activates your parasympathetic nervous system. And that puts you right into a version of the fight or flight response. So that's one thing that I really suggest to a lot of patients for stress reduction. The other thing now movement also helps with stress reduction. If you've noticed, I have a theme, which is movement, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Um, movement is really great for stress. Whenever I think of this, I think of, you're going to laugh at me. I think of Elle Woods from Legally Blonde, and she says, <laughs> movement makes people happy, and happy people just don't kill. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? I, wow. I, mm -hmm. I love it. Based in science, Whoa. people, Elle Woods knows what's going on. <laughs> I have to make that the quote of the podcast. Right? Endorf what? <laughs> Movement releases endorphins. So endorphins make people happy and happy people just don't kill. That's what Elwood says. So and our, need, our world needs that. Right? It really doesn't get does. more simple than that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Elwoods. So, yeah. so what happens when you're moving is no matter what the movement is, it's going to release endorphins. And endorphins do a couple of things, but their main role is to decrease the pain that we feel in our body. And when we decrease pain, stress naturally follows. So endorphins act on the same receptors in our brain that opioids would. So like oxycodone, they are the same chemical receptors in our brain as epinephrine and norepinephrine that we've already got. So when we exercise, those things are released into our brain. So we have less pain and we're happier. And when you have less pain and you're happier, you're not going to be as stressed. It's just kind of the name of the game. The other thing that I really like to suggest to people is creativity. So this is one that a lot of people tend to leave out because it doesn't seem like it's doing anything in the moment for a lot of people, but it does. So doing something creative is really going to help with your stress reduction because it's taking your mind off of things that 
are going on at work or going on at home. It uses a different part of being creative and artsy type things, use a different part of your brain than a more analytical job or analytical life might lead. So my creative outlet is knitting, but it can be anything, whether it's dancing, which combines movement and creativity. So that's fun. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> and probably deep breathing too. <laughs> probably deep breathing. There you go. You know what? One of the, I actually did this, I was getting ready to shower and my favorite song came on my playlist. And so I just had a little dance party in the bathroom by myself. And honestly, I felt after like a two minute dance party, I felt like a million bucks. Okay. And if you're singing, singing also activates your parasympathetic it does. because of your vagus nerve. So it stimulates your vagus nerve. It does. Wow right? Singing and dancing. We just found the most perfect protocol. Yeah. So doing something creative, singing, dancing, knitting, painting, whatever it might be. It's also so crazy how disconnected we are from our creative side. I'm sure a lot of people who work, you know, in a field that's more creative, definitely. Like Andrew listening right now, or sound engineer. (laughs) He's like, I play music every day. But I do feel like so many people are disconnected with their creative side. Like, for example, I have patients say, hey, do something that's creative, like some sort of like artistic expression, just because you can like almost when they come into the room, you can sense how like clogged they are, how stagnant they are. So I say on top of A, B and C, let's try and just do like one thing that is artistically expressive or something that like is more creative just two times a week. And they're like, what do you mean? What creative? Like, you want me to go and like dance in the streets or something? Or do you want me to like paint a picture? (laughs) And I'm like, well, those are two options, but like whatever will bring you happiness. And they're like, I don't know what creative thing would bring me happiness. And that's kind of like at a point where you're like, "Mm," and I wonder how we got to this place where you're so (laughs) (laughs) clogged up. And one thing I like to suggest to those people who like really can't think of anything creative that they can be doing is cooking because everybody has to feed themselves and most people are already doing something in the kitchen. I know that some don't, and that's totally fine if that's what works for you. I love cooking. So I find if I'm creative when I'm in the kitchen and feeding myself and my partner, that also really helps. And you can throw on a podcast while you're cooking. Or you can like- well mm-hmm. conversation perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Cause I'm not mm-hmm. as like, I'm not artistic at all. Like I would be the patient <laughs> if I saw Dr. Christine, she was like, be creative. I'd be like, I have no time and I'm no, I'm just not, yeah. I can't, I can't think of that. I don't want yeah. to draw something, but yeah, cooking. I love cooking. So I think that's a great one or baking, swapping out yeah. conventional ingredients for healthier ingredients and doing it on your own. That's kind of like a cool way to think that way. And, or you just take a recipe and then try and figure out, okay, I have some like old rotting vegetables in the fridge. Totally. Can I use these up? Mm-hmm. That's creative. Yeah. 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 That's a good 100%. one. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I never considered cooking that way, but I know I like, I, that. I like it even now more I feel now. Like I'm, I'm actually a creative person now. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, and it doesn't feel creative, but it really is. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's so sure. true. And now that we're kind of running out of time, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your connection with the LGBTQ2SIA plus community. So I know you work specifically with that community. How do you serve the population and why is, what is the importance of that to you? So the importance of it to me is really simple. I am part of that community and I want to treat people that I like to be around. 
I don't want people coming into my office that I don't have anything in common with. I don't want to be treating people that I have to be like walking on eggshells with. In case you can't tell, I'm a bit of, like I like to talk. And so I chat with my patients during treatments. And so I want to be able to talk about what's going on on RuPaul's Drag Race. Like I want to be talking about random things. So I just enjoy it more. And I wanted to create a really safe space where people of any sex, gender, gender expression, sexual orientation, whatever it is, they can come in and they can be totally them at all times. They can talk about whatever they want to talk about. There's not going to be any judgments about what you did on the weekend, or you're not going to hear from me that you should be in an opposite sex relationship because that's what we should be doing. None of that. I want to create a really safe, really welcoming environment for all those people because the LGBTQ plus population is really stigmatized in their healthcare. We make decisions that a lot of healthcare practitioners don't know about. There are medications that some LGBTQ plus people are on that a lot of GPs don't know about. There are some other concerns with trans people and pain that they might have while they bind their chest. Or another thing with trans people, pain that they might have while their breast tissue is getting larger. So those are all things that not everyone is thinking about in a care setting that really, really makes a difference. And using the correct pronouns or something that I'm very conscious of and passionate about because it's literally the easiest thing you can do is use the pronouns that people go by. And so I just love creating that space. And it really came from the desire to be around my people. And the fact that there was strangely enough, nobody else in the city catering to that community. And my office is in the village. It made sense. And I love it. That's amazing. And talking about stress reduction, back to what we were doing before, if you are going in for a treatment, chiropractic treatment, where you're supposed to be working on all these things, you're trying to activate this parasympathetic system, and you're in a place where you feel uncomfortable or unwelcome, and you just can't be yourself or relax, it's actually going to be not helpful for your treatment. It's going to physically impact your treatment. Absolutely. Yeah, it's nice to create an environment where people feel welcome but it's beyond that. It actually impacts treatment. And I think that's something that people sometimes overlook yeah. where people feeling comfortable seeing their doctor impacts their success of treatment. And the other thing too, is because my treatment is hands-on, like I'm touching you. You have to be very comfortable. Like from the moment somebody walks into my office, I have to create a space that people are going to be okay with me physically touching them. And like, mm -hmm. I touch people's faces and like, that's a very sensitive area. And I touch people's yeah. pec muscles, which are right in through mm -hmm. here, which for a lot of trans people and non-binary people can be pretty traumatizing. And so yeah. it's really important that that safe space is created. And I mean, there's rainbows all over my office. My headshot in the front <laughs> has a rainbow on it. Like it's pretty obvious. And so I think you're totally right. It comes, it does impact treatment. And I think it's important. Yeah. And I think it's important for anyone who is listening. If maybe they are in a situation, whether it's their GP or a naturopathic doctor, or their chiropractor, physiotherapist, knowing that now there's such a growing community of practitioners, which is amazing. And so I'm talking within Toronto, unfortunately, when you get to rural places, it's a little bit more tricky, but there's this kind of growing field of practitioners who do offer that. And I think finding someone that you feel comfortable with, whether it's you're in the LGBTQ plus community or it's something else that you maybe just don't feel comfortable with your practitioner, knowing that 
it's always your choice. And your practitioner, actually, if you don't jive well with them, if you're uncomfortable, they actually have to refer you to someone and can help you find someone. And if not, always reach out because there are options and it's really important for the success of your treatment. Yeah, you're totally right. And for the practitioners who are out there listening right now, we also have a podcast about accessibility in healthcare that we did with Arlie, Arlie Milliard. She's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah, so Yeah, and it was all about all about how you can make your practice, your space more inclusive, what mm-hmm. you can do about your intake forms, your website, the language that you use, adding pronouns to your name so other people feel more comfortable to share their pronouns. There's tons of good info in there if you're interested. We can also link that podcast episode in our podcast notes. Okay, Donald, we have gone through a lot. Our listeners have so much homework to do. I love it. I love, I love when they have homework to do because it's. I love when I listen to a podcast and there's things that I can do right now. So we always end with three actionable items people can do today. And we've definitely already gone through a lot of things, but maybe if you can sum up three things today to either improve just overall spine health or reduce headaches or stress management, maybe your top three things. For sure. So one of them we already talked about, which is the diaphragmatic breathing. That's how you should be breathing all the time. If you're a singer or if you're a performer or if you ever played a musical instrument that you need to use your mouth for, you're probably breathing like that anyway. But that's 100%, that's number one. Diaphragmatic breathing is number one. You should be doing that. Number two is movement. You should be getting 150 minutes of moderate intensity movement a week. To be honest with you, they're really bad at defining what that means. You should be taking a 30 minute brisk walk five times a week. So whatever that means for you, however you get that, getting enough movement is really, really, really important. And I'm sure you've talked about this all the time. The third thing is adequate water intake. I know Maley loves water intake. You need to be drinking (laughs) enough water. Um, And again, there's no like formula for water. I like to suggest between two and two and a half liters a day. But if you're not drinking enough water, you're going to get headaches. That's one of the biggest causative factors of headaches is water. So if you're not drinking enough water, you're going to get headaches. You're going to be stressed and your poops aren't going to be very good. And none of that's great. So my three biggest tips for everyone is to do diaphragmatic breathing, get enough exercise and to drink enough water. So simple. Wow, I love all those. So simple, but so challenging. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Yeah, of course I can drink more water and it's like- Right. And coffee doesn't count as water, people. Coffee does not count. I always say coffee is a minus one water. So you have to (laughs) add a cup of water for every cup of coffee I say that too, yeah. (laughs) But herbal tea counts. Herbal tea counts. And fizzy water counts. So if you're one of those people who really doesn't like flat water, get a soda street. It really makes a difference. But not pop. But not pop. I had pop for the first time in two years yesterday. It was crazy. Did you get a headache? No, I didn't, <laughs> actually. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Dr. Donald, for joining us today. And I hope our listeners got as much out of that as I did. And until next time, feel well, learn well.